There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. This is a WTOP original podcast. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. More of Paul Whelan on his experience in a Russian prison. I, I don't know why they made up the story that they did. I mean, they said that I was an American citizen born and bred and that my Canadian, British, and Irish passports were fake. They, they really didn't know anything about me. They just kind of came up with this story. And special envoy for hostage affairs, Roger Carstens, talks about the case. Uh, we're very firm that we expect the Russians to, uh, you know, protect the, uh, the Americans that are being held in, in, under their charge. Um, this is a very serious uh, situation, and, you know, we're not going to tolerate people being mistreated. It's bad enough that they're arrested and held wrongfully. Coming up on this episode, from WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. America has a target on its back, and on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On our last episode, you heard a lot from Paul Whelan about his situation. On this episode, we won't hear that much directly from Paul Whelan, but we'll hear something that's very consequential, and we'll hear some more from Ambassador Carstens on the other side. One of the things that's clearly the most vexing about his situation for Paul Whelan is the Russian narrative about who he was and what he was doing in the country. Using the Russians' narrative that I'm a Brigadier General and a secret agent for DIA, um, if I was, the U.S. government should have bent over backwards to get me home years ago. If I wasn't, and obviously I'm not, they should have doubly bent over backwards to get an innocent person home. I mean, it just makes no sense to me that five years has gone by and nobody's done anything. So what? where did they but get like that I said, narrative if you, dig, if, 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 you, if you dig into the military part and you dig into the intelligence part, you might start worrying some people. You might start getting some answers. I, I don't know why they made up the story that they did. I mean, they said that I was an American citizen born and bred and that my Canadian, British, and Irish passports were fake. They, they really didn't know anything about me. They just kind of came up with this story. And, you know, it, it's, it's, what, it's what the FSB does. They make up these amateurish claims. The prosecutor rubber stamps it. The judges rubber stamp it. And then they try to do a trade. Um, nothing about what they said made sense other than the fact that they were honest in that I don't speak Russian. And when I was arrested, they said, oh, yeah, we know you don't speak Russian. I said, well, then why do you keep going on about me trying to get secrets and having conversations with people and all this kind of nonsense? They provided absolutely no evidence. There were no witnesses. There was absolutely nothing at all. Right. I mean, it's I mean, it's it's mind-boggling what these people do. But again, they thought that they could get uh, Victor Boot, Konstantin Yurchenko, and Maria Butina back quite quickly by you know dangling me over, over Trump's head. But he he wouldn't play. Wouldn't play ball. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to share today? 
when you you know when you speak to the people on the hill, please tell them that I appreciate all the efforts and, and people's endeavors, but more needs to be done. And and I'll keep saying that until I'm home. Um, you know, any department that's not involved, any department that's not doing anything, needs to get involved, and they need to start doing something. There are enough Russian targets in the United States and around uh, Africa with the Wagner Group, the FSB Africa, and these other organizations that they should be doing something to provide some leverage to make the Russians sit up and take notice and say, okay, yeah, we'll start negotiating in good faith now. The fact that yeah. nothing has been done for five years really doesn't impress me, doesn't impress me at all. Yeah. When people make these claims that they're doing everything they can, I know that they're not. I know from yeah. my experience that they're not. That, as you can imagine, was an extremely emotional call for Paul Whelan to make, but he had made a number of them, so he's used to it. But listening to it on Christmas Eve and recognizing what was to come for me and my family and realizing that he was there by himself, away from his family, made this next remark all the more remarkable. When people make these claims that they're doing everything they can, I know that they're not. I know from yeah. my experience that they're not. Right. All right. And then, of course, happy. And, and then, of course, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. <laughs> In spite of his situation, he was able to share some cheer and even laugh about it. In our previous conversation, Ambassador Roger D. Carstens shared some information with me about Paul Whelan's case that I was not aware of. Did I hear you correctly say that you scheduled meetings between Elizabeth and the president? Yeah, in fact, it's funny. I don't want to act like we're managing the president's uh, calendar. But what I can tell you is that the president of the United States has uh, met with Elizabeth Whelan and called her on the phone. Um, and you got to think at times, I, I have, I, like I said, my, my cases are hovering between 25 and 35 right now, depending on how you, you want to tab, uh, tabulate them. But there are times when I've had about 50 cases on my desk. And so that's a big thing when the president reaches down and calls a family member uh, and Elizabeth has, has and, or meets with them face to face. And the president's done that in this case. He's done that in a lot of these cases. Uh, the secretary yeah. of state's talking to almost every family, but uh, it kind of highlights the seriousness that this government has towards bringing people home and the importance of this whole topic. I mean, it's a busy world out there, yeah. and yet things stop so that the president and the secretary of state can connect with these people. And they're just personally committed, personally committed to getting this done, as am I. Yeah. Um, Ambassador, I get that same feeling talking from people um, across, I guess, the landscape of these yeah. negotiations from the family to the people on the Hill and yourself, clearly. Yeah. This is a great opportunity to have to engage with you. Um, one of the things that I'm very concerned about, and, and I'd like some some feedback from you on this, I hear Paul talking about, and he probably has told you and Fletcher this and everybody else that he's talked to, that he feels as though the people that run that prison have targeted him. And, um, you know, I get the sense, you know, late, I think in November at some point, he was attacked by another prisoner. Yeah. And yeah. I've heard periodically from time to time about situations where guards who have actually um, mistreated him. What do you do about that? Who who deals with that? How is that dealt with? What, is, what does the U.S. do about or with that? Yeah, so I, I talked to Paul not long after that uh, incident took place. And, uh, and, and Fletcher has like once or twice since then as well. Uh, and we assured him that we were going to move on it. Um, I, I, you know, 
There are all sorts of things we can do. In the past, we've done things like send it to Marsh. It's an official message to the Russian government at the highest level saying, this is happening. We're asking you to look into it. Please ensure that there's the safety and security of our prisoners is, uh, uh, a, pri- is a priority for you uh, because it's a priority for us. But in this case, you know, we've had uh, Ambassador Tracy. She's actually had a chance to get out uh, to the prison to physically see Paul face to face. She's actually seen him twice. We're constantly pushing for uh, regular consular access. Uh, and when we go out and have these discussions, whether they take place in official channels in the way of, by way of demarches, where they take place by meetings that take place in the United States or in Moscow between U.S. diplomats and Russian diplomats, or whether they take place between Ambassador Tracy and, and prison officials, when she makes the eight-hour drive out to the prison where Paul's held, uh, we're very firm that we expect the Russians to uh, you know, protect the, uh, the Americans that are being held in, in the, under their charge. Um, this is a very serious uh, situation, and you know we're not going to tolerate people being mistreated. It's bad enough that they're arrested and held wrongfully. Um, you know, don't compound that by ensuring uh, by by not ensuring that they're safe and they're being that they're being taken care of. Ambassador, I only asked for about twenty minutes of your time, and we're about there. But I want to ask if I can one more thing from me, sure. and then get some thoughts from you about yeah. maybe some things I haven't asked about. But I want to kind of. Um, push on this one issue a little bit more before we leave it today. Um, your optimism about possibly something taking place soon or something taking place um, bet- you know, between the U.S. And, and Russia to get Evan Gershkovich and um, Paul Whelan home. Um, do you get the sense from what's going on right now that you're in that place because I did hear that you made a substantive offer not long ago and they rejected it, but have you gotten to a new place with something else? Or are they looking back at what you presented before and rethinking? Can you share any insight on that? You know, really can't get into too many of the details. You know, again, we, we, uh, when you start negotiating in public, it, it just it never seems to go well. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Um, why I'm at least cautiously optimistic is that we still have an ongoing discussion. Um, as I said, I've been in, in, in negotiations that actually crash. You're talking to the other side and one side does something or the other, or something takes place in the geographical or the uh, geopolitical sphere. And suddenly you're no longer in a discussion. At least in this case, we have a back and forth and that's not a, that's not a bad place to be in at any time, I think. Um, but if, if you were to ask, uh, do we have a plan? Absolutely. We're at, we have a plan. And we are trying to, you know, map it out in time and space and work with the other side. What makes it hard is that the Russians have some extreme demands. And as opposed to meeting in good faith and working through so we can close the gap, uh, essentially the other side is like, look, we have some extreme demands on some things that the United States of America does not control. And when you you're able to meet them, we'll see if we can get something done. And so it puts us in probably the hardest negotiating position that that might be the hardest one I've been in. You know, if 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 we had things that under the U.S. control, well, that makes things much much easier. We can you know kind of pull back and as an interagency, as the U.S. government decide what's in the art of the doable and then make some hard decisions. But when we don't control some of the things that the other side's asking for, we've now taken it into another level. I can imagine that some of those things that you don't control may include something like a a certain prisoner who is in prison in Germany that Russia keeps for some reason 
based on information I've learned about asking for who, you know, committed murder there. Um, and, and of course, you know, maybe the U.S. has some influence with Germany, but certainly it's not something that the U.S. can just dial up and say, hey, do this. I completely get that. And I think most folks who hear and read about this conversation are going to say the same thing. Is there something um, that I haven't asked you about that's key or critical in your mind to this process? Yeah, actually, it's funny. When you asked that, my mind went right to this. And this was, I don't want this to sound like a paid uh, announcement or anything, but uh, every now and then someone will come up to someone in my office and say, great job, Spiha, for bringing home so-and-so. And we're always mindful that it wasn't just us. In fact, sometimes it's just not us, period. It's a group of people. And that people includes people like yourself, journalists who are out there holding us accountable, that are telling the story, that are raising awareness, that are talking to the families. It comes down to congressmen, senators, their staff, nonprofits, NGOs that are out there uh, to include people like uh, Hostage US and the Foley Foundation that keep working uh, these issues. It comes down into empowered individuals uh, like the former Governor Richardson, who did a lot of work in this arena. Uh, it comes down to partners and allies. Um, uh, I think it's no secret that uh, we've relied on Qatar in some of these uh, returns. Um, and but there, you know, the list goes on of all the countries that have actually participated and worked to try to bring people home. So anytime an American comes home, there's been a huge group of people, not only in state, the White House, the CIA, the Department of Defense, Department of Treasury, but it extends out to a broader community uh, that goes right down to businessmen and journalists all can, uh, working together to bring folks home. So maybe that's a long way of saying that, uh, to my mind, you're part of the team, even though you're you're uh, independent, you're neutral, you're holding us accountable. I still can, I still think of you as a part of the team and your listeners. You know, the, the more that they're aware of what's happening, uh, I think the better it is for everyone to include the families and those that are held. It gives us, uh, it gives us more room to maneuver when we're trying to make these deals and people know what we're up to and what we're trying to do. That's it for this episode of Target USA, coming up in our next episode. A deeper look at why the U.S. is in the situation it's in. Well, the the Canadians, the British, and the Irish are very, very supportive. Their ambassadors come and visit me. Uh, The consulates are in regular communication with, uh, you know, the U.S. consulate. Uh, The foreign ministers of all three countries are in regular communication uh, with me and my family and uh, the U.S. But the Russians keep saying that my passports are fake, that I'm an American citizen, and they'll only deal with the Americans. And so it's left, um, you know, the Canadians, British, and Irish without any uh, means of negotiation because the Russians won't negotiate with them. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at wtop.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the national security podcast.